Well, finishing well. You know, sometimes we have to hang on for a bumpy ride and lots of twists and turns that we don't understand. But ultimately, all of us are going to finish our race, our time on earth. And for some of you, finishing well may mean something different to others. As we come to look at the life of Joseph, we're going to find that he is one who finished well. Interesting, a professor at Fuller Seminary, Robert Clinton, did a study of all the the male leaders throughout all the Bible, and this is what he discovered. Only 30% of those men that were in leadership in the Bible, these are Bible characters, only 30% of those who were leaders in the Bible finished well. That gives the picture that some 70% of those that are listed in the Bible that somewhere, somehow, either through their early years, maybe they never got on track, or somewhere along the line, they derailed and they did not finish well. So the challenge for us as men and women, and even as we think about students and the, the years that you have ahead of you, are to be able to look back at your life and know, hey, I wasn't perfect, and none of us are. There were times that I did this or I got off course here. But ultimately, what I want to be known for is that I hear those words of the Lord Jesus, well done, good and faithful servant. He did not say good and perfect servant. He said, well done, good and faithful servant. That means when we fail, that means when we fall, we get up, we repent, we get right, and we get moving forward in our faith. And so what we see in Joseph in this last chapter of the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 50 is one who finished Well, so take your Bibles with me and turn to Genesis chapter 50. We're going to pick up in verse number 15 and read down through verse number 21, but we're going to kind of keep open because these last few verses are going to uh, give us some great insight into Joseph as well. Genesis chapter 50, beginning with verse number 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, perhaps Joseph will hate us And may actually repay us for all the evil which we did to him. So they sent messengers to Joseph saying, Before your father died, he commanded saying, Thus you shall say to Joseph, I beg you, please forgive the trespass of your brothers and their sin, for they did evil to you. Now please forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Then his brothers also went and fell down before his face. And they said, behold, we are your servants. And Joseph said to them, do not be afraid, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. Now, therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and he spoke kindly to them. And with that, let's pray. God, would you speak to us today? For some of us, we may need to hear those kind words today. We recognize your kindness is ultimately what leads us to repentance. But 
we also recognize that the kindness of your voice can bring encouragement to those who are hurting and discouraged today. For those who are facing trials, for those who are facing sorrows. Lord, for those who are facing joy, we recognize that tomorrow there, there may be more challenges ahead. So God, give us your will, give us your word, and give us the heart to say yes in your name. Amen. In Genesis chapter 37 through Genesis 50, we find the dominant character is Joseph. Joseph was loved, the most loved son of his father, Jacob. He had 10 other boys that were born before Joseph, but Joseph was that 11th, the daughter, uh, the son of his favorite wife, Rachel. And because of that, Joseph was doted upon. He was given a coat or a robe of many colors that set him apart and showed that that dad had an extra ounce of affection for him that he did not have for those other brothers. This made it where his brothers could not speak peaceably to him. And ultimately, when they had the chance and Joseph was vulnerable, they betrayed him. Initially, they considered killing him, but ended up selling him as a slave to a group of Ishmaelites who were headed toward Egypt. Joseph is carried down into Egypt where he becomes a servant in the house of Potiphar. And in Potiphar's house, Mrs. Potiphar makes an advance toward him and he shuns that, but ultimately she catches him alone. He runs away from her, but she grabs his coat and lies about him and he is thrown in prison. In prison, he interprets the dream of a butler and a baker. The butler's job is restored to work back for the Pharaoh again. But as his job is restored and he goes back to work for the Pharaoh, he forgets about Joseph. Two years pass that Joseph spends in prison. And through all of this time, we we look at Joseph's life and he has gone uh, down, 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 down into a pit, down into slavery, down into prison. And then he is completely forgotten about. And yet, after two years, the Pharaoh himself has a dream and the butler remembers, oh yeah, I had a guy in prison who who could tell my dreams. And so Joseph shared the interpretation of the dream that seven years of plenty was going to come, followed by seven years of famine. During those seven years of plenty, they gathered and stored up lots and lots and lots of crops so that when the year of years of famine hit, they were ready. And when the years of famine hit, Joseph's family, his brothers and his father were not ready. So his 10 brothers trekked down to Egypt to get food. And as they're down there, Joseph recognizes them, but they do not recognize him. It has been 20 years and they do not see uh, Joseph uh, as they saw him as a 17-year-old boy. They do not recognize him anymore. Joseph tests his brothers. Then he reveals himself to his brothers. Then he invites his family to come down to Egypt and live with him. For 17 years, his father has lived. And in Genesis chapter 49, in the beginning of Genesis chapter 50, we find that Jacob, Joseph's father, is now died. There's something about death that can bring out such emotion in anyone's life, especially a death of a family member. But when things are not right, and when there's a dysfunction in a family, then oftentimes a moment like death can bring out some strain in relationships. 
And here we find that after Jacob is carried up back to the promised land and buried, we find that Joseph's brothers send a messenger to him and say, look, dad really wanted you to forgive us. And when Joseph heard the words, he wept. What we find as we finish out these last few verses of Genesis 50 is 60 plus years go by. Little is made of Joseph's life after this moment, just a few summary statements. But we find that ultimately when it comes down to it and we read the last words of Joseph, we find he came to the point of finishing well. I don't know where you are in your race today. Some of you may be in the first quarter. Some of you are now past halftime. Some of you are in the fourth quarter of your life. And as you think about the fourth quarter of your life, we think about that final surge that we have to finish well. It really may not matter too much even where you are today if you would seek to finish well. There may have been years that you would look back and live differently and years that you have lost, but like a a divine GPS, the Lord wants to recalculate where you are right now to bring you to that place that he has for your life. See, if you're still here, then God still has a plan for your life, and because he still has a plan for your life, it's not too late to get right and to be where he wants you to be. So, so how do we start today and how do we want to finish today? Well, I think as we look at Joseph's life and we think about this, this issue of finishing well, I want us to draw four thoughts on this and challenge you to finish well. First off, if you're going to finish well, you're going to have to live at peace. There's going to have to be a picture of peace in your life. There's going to have to be this sense that, that I'm, I'm willing uh, to, to let go of some things in my life and trust God with some things in my life. You know, peace is not in a position or a place. It's not that peace is at the beach or peace is down by the river. Peace ultimately is found in a person, the person of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2.14 says, he himself is our peace. Romans 5.1 says, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace is found in a person. It's found when we recognize that we're disqualified from a perfect heaven with a perfect God. And the only way that we can get there is by understanding that Jesus died on the cross for my sin and rose again. And when I receive him into my life, then I can experience peace. He himself is our peace. And at that moment I receive him, the Holy Spirit comes into my life. And so we find that, that peace is not only from Jesus, but peace is, is part of the fruit of the Holy Spirit that God builds into my life. For the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5.22, says is love and joy and peace. So that Peace is not something on the outside that works its way in, but peace is something on the inside that works its way out despite what circumstances are going on around me. Peace is often tried, though, because we walk into circumstances and storms in our life, and in those instances, Isaiah 26.3 says that God will keep us in perfect peace when our mind is I love the old King James says, when our mind is stayed on him, it's focused, it's set. When our mind is 
focused and set on who God is and the great strength and the awesome sovereignty that he has over all of creation, we find that we can have peace. And then Philippians 4 reminds us that we are to be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving that we are to let our requests be known to God. In other words, peace comes through prayer, Philippians 4, 6. And then in verse number 7, it says, and the peace of God that passes all understanding shall guard your heart and mind in Christ. Peace is not found in a circumstance. It's not found in a place. It's not found in a position. It's not found in possessions. I mean, you you may have your 401k filled today. And guess what? It could be gone tomorrow. The truth of the matter is, unfortunately, we don't like to say those kinds of things. But the truth is, is our peace is not in our stuff. Our peace is in a person, the Lord, the Holy Spirit, God working in me. So Joseph showed that he had peace with others. He had peace with others. Those in particular is that he was living at peace with his brothers. His brother sent the message to him that said, hey, you have to understand this. That as we think about where uh, Joseph is and where we are, that I, uh, I, I, we're afraid. Joseph could get us. But notice how Joseph responds to them as they send this, this message uh, to him. Notice, notice Joseph's response. He says, as, as, he we- as he weeps in verse number 17, he says to them in, in verse number 19, do not be afraid. See, we have to live at peace with others. Remember, his brothers were the ones who sold him, who betrayed him, who gave up family alliance with him, that his brothers were the one that hurt him, and yet Joseph is still living at peace with them. And when they come to this place of saying, hey, dad wanted you to forgive us, Joseph says, I can't believe for 17 years I've cared for you. I've provided for you. I've met all of your needs, and now you're doubting my love and forgiveness? For 17 years, I've been here. Anything that you wanted, anything that you lacked, the kindness that I showed, the kindness that I showed your, your, your children, Uncle Joseph, as they'd come over and hang out at my house, as they'd give them a ride in my chariot, as they would get to try on some of, some of my fancy clothes that I got to wear, being second in command in all of Egypt. And yet you still question? That's why Joseph weeps. He has come to a place of living at peace with them, but he's wondering, what's going on in their life? What else do I have to do to prove that I am at peace with them? He weeps over this. And then they come and they bow themselves before him. He says, look, am I in the place of God? I've already forgiven you. It's not my, my job to judge you. But here's the key. This is what you have to understand. What did his brothers do when he was vulnerable? They took advantage of him. So what do they think that he's going to do next? Little do they know or understand of that little word, grace, peace, forgiveness. They, they, don't, they, they probably don't really have it, so they don't understand what it means to receive it. Live at peace with others, but then live at peace with God. 
As believers, we are called to live at peace with others, but we're to live at peace with, with God. When we think about Joseph coming in verse number 20 and saying, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Here, Joseph has a grasp of God's providence over the circumstances of life. That God in his hand and in his sovereign, awesome plan looked through all of this and what these brothers meant for evil, God was ultimately not going to just use for good, but use for good in such a way that he was going to save his own people. And the very line of Judah, his brother, from which would come the Messiah. You know, some people, their biggest challenge is not with people this way. Their biggest problem is when life gets hard, God didn't meet their expectation. God put them through a storm that they felt like they didn't deserve. That they felt like, like I shouldn't have to go through this. And often we, we forget, listen, anything short of eternal condemnation for us as believers, is grace. Do you get it? There's none righteous, no, not one. None of us deserve anything but God's wrath and punishment because we are sinful. And yet God, out of his love, has given us Christ. And through the challenges of life, Joseph has learned to depend upon God's presence. Remember? As he went down into Potiphar's house and the Lord was with him in the beginning of Genesis 39. And remember when he was thrown in prison and it reminds us that the Lord was with him at the end of Genesis 39. We find God in his providence and in his presence was guiding and leading Joseph. So that Joseph is at peace with God sitting on the throne and not having one who was going to be the commentator and critique him. Ooh. Wouldn't life look different if, if we were the one who counseled God and said, oh, yeah, yeah, God, you know, I don't really deserve that. Don't want to face this. And yet, Psalm 115.3 reminds us that the Lord is on the throne and he does whatever he pleases. <laughs> so we have to learn to live at peace. And here's the key. The more you know him, the more you'll trust him. And the more you trust him, the more you can live at peace when the chaos breaks out around us. You know what's going on in our world today? You know what we're seeing in our cities today? People without peace. Without peace from God and without peace with others. Live at peace. But not only do we find that Joseph is a a guy who lives at peace, but he also is is a guy who is faithful in his walk. So so that's a challenge for us, that we are to live at peace, but but we are to have a faith walk that that can trek through uh, the deep waters of life. Walk by faith. Walk by faith. It's laid out for us so, so simply. You know how we come into a relationship with God? It's not by works, it's not by our denomination, it's not by our religious doings, it's not by being a Baptist. No one will ever get to heaven by being a Baptist or any other denomination. How do we get to heaven? By faith. For by grace you have been saved 
through faith. It is trusting Jesus alone, not trusting my denomination or trusting my good works. It's trusting Jesus, and that's what the Bible makes it very clear. And because we have trusted him by faith, then we are to, 2 Corinthians 5, 7, walk by faith. Now, let's quickly look at, at Joseph's faith in life. His faith in his life. I mean, we find that from age 17, as, as he is carted off and, and sent down to Egypt, that God's presence is with him and that he is serving, he is living, and he is doing. And notice as we come and, and look at, at Joseph's life, even here, 17 years after being reunited with his family, he's still showing that kind of faith. Look, Am I in the place of God? What you meant for evil against me, God meant for good. I have faith enough to trust God with all of the details. And though I went through 13 years of of deep water and torture in these early times of Egypt, I have faith in God. It was Andre Crouch who wrote, through it all, through it all, I've learned to trust in Jesus And I've learned to trust in God. And through it all, we find that Joseph demonstrated a faith that would endure. But listen, his faith didn't only endure through life, but his faith endured at his death. I think I put Hebrews 11, 22 uh, by uh, in, in, in the bulletin today, in the worship guide. But Hebrews 11 tells us this, Hebrews 11, 22. By faith, Joseph when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instruction concerning his bones. You know what Joseph did? At the end of his life, he says, guys, I'm dying. I know I'm dying. You know, my dad had this elaborate funeral and there was this big caravan that took him back up to Egypt. But let me tell you this. God's going to visit you. And I believe. And so, embalm me, stick me in a coffin And when God visits and you go back to the promised land, take me with you. That's faith. We'll talk more about that in just a minute. Live in peace. Walk by faith. Thirdly, love your family. As we think about Joseph in his life, love your family. I have a hard time picturing that that scene when Jacob was reunited 20 years after Joseph had had been gone. And after 20 years, they fall on each other's neck. His father had thought he was dead. Remember, his brothers took the, the, the robe and they dipped it in animal's blood and brought it back and said, oh, and, you know, an animal must have eaten Joseph and we just found this bloody coat. And his father is grieved for him. And then there's that happy moment when they're reunited. Now, as we think about Joseph and showing love to his family, I, I, I want us to, to just kind of glance through. We've mentioned some of these things before, but, but to, to look at how he showed that love. First off, he was forgiving. He was forgiving. What you meant for evil, God meant for good, and they knew that they had done evil, and he knew that they had done evil. But why was Joseph willing to forgive? God had worked in his heart and life. Some people have hurt you. Maybe someone has ripped you off. Maybe someone has said something about you. Maybe someone has hurt you. Why do you forgive? Because Joseph's example? No, let me tell you why. Because of Jesus. In Ephesians 4.32, 
It says that we're to be kind one to, to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ Jesus has forgiven you. So the picture is, it's because I have been forgiven so much by Jesus that I can forgive someone else of what they have done to me. The forgiveness aspect is a sign of, of love. Remember 1 Corinthians 13, that love keeps no record of wrongs? How, how is it that, that oftentimes when, when we get in an argument, someone gets hysterical and someone else gets historical? They want to bring stuff up from all the past. They, they want to fish. And yet, that's not a picture of love. Love is not keeping score. It's not keeping a ledger. It's forgetting these things. And Joseph would just simply say, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. And I'm willing to move on. And I'm, I'm trusting God that we're going to move forward together as a family in love because I have forgiven you. Now, that's often very challenging, listen, to flesh out. And I understand that. And if you're struggling with someone in forgiveness today, would you just pray this prayer today? Lord, would you just at least point me in the direction of forgiveness? And then, Lord, tomorrow, would you help me to take one little step of forgiveness and another step and another step day after day after day? I I mean, really just forgiving. I mean, letting go keeping no record of the wrong. I, I, I mean, just, just being free of... Remember Joseph's children? The object lessons of forgiveness. His first son, Manasseh. God's caused me to forget. His name is Manasseh, forget. And then his next son, Ephraim, is, means to be fruitful. So he's forgetting and he's moving on to be fruitful with what God has in store for him. So we find Joseph showing love by forgiving. But also notice with me that we see Joseph showing love in, in verse number 19 where he says, do not be afraid. There's the, uh, the aspect of assuring. He just assures them. Look, guys, you don't have to be afraid. That's what love does. Love assures someone. I'm here. I'm with you. I'm for you. You don't have to be afraid. Perfect love does what? Casts out fear. Mm. Don't be afraid. There's the picture of forgiving. There's the picture of, 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 of assuring. Then there's the picture of providing. Joseph looks back and says, look, I, I have provided for your family for the last 17 years. But notice what he says in verse number 21. Therefore, do not be afraid. I'll provide for you and your little ones. Those who love provide. Then he affirms them. Notice what he says in verse 21. I'll provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them. He comforted them. That's affirming. He comforted. He came. He spoke kindly to them. He spoke to their heart. He affirmed that they were valuable in his side and in God's side. And then we notice that last part of verse uh, 21. He comforted them and he spoke kindly to them. But then we look down in verse 22. And Joseph dwelt in Egypt, he and his father's household. And Joseph lived 110 years. You think about 17 years he lived at home. Then for the next 93 years, he lived in Egypt. That's a long time. 
But notice in verse 23, Joseph saw Ephraim's children to the third generation, and the children of Machir, the son of Manasseh, were also brought up on Joseph's knee. Joseph's love was nurturing. I, I, I love this picture of, of Joseph. I, I love the picture that, that he has his grandkids and his great-grandkids sitting on his knee. Isn't this just a beautiful picture? I, I love that today. We're doing a baby dedication first hour. We're doing a baby dedication second hour. But I, I just love that picture. That Joseph was just grandpa to some kid. He wasn't the second in command in Egypt. He, he just was grandpa, great-grandpa. And he grew up on their knee. I don't know about you. I don't have grandkids yet, and I'm not in a big rush to, for that, but I miss those days. I miss those days of pulling a kid up in your lap and being the tickle monster. I, I miss those days of I'd hide their stuffed animals in a dark room and then we'd go turn on the flashlights and we'd animal hunt. I, I miss those days. I miss those days of sitting down with one of them in, in my lap and reading a story. I miss those days of when they're a baby and you'd kick back in the recliner and they'd just sleep right on your chest. Good night, my boys are as big as I am right now. That, that wouldn't be fun for either of us. <laughs> but what we find in Joseph is that to some people, he was just dad and grandpa and great-grandpa. I love this picture because the challenge ultimately in, in our life is this. I, we said it that you can pick your fa- friends, but you can't pick your family. But Joseph thoroughly enjoyed his family. Uncle Joseph hanging around. Joseph the brother and brother-in-law. But I think there was just something special with Joseph the grandpa and the great-grandpa. How will you be remembered? That's what we're talking about, finishing well. That's what we're talking about in Joseph's life, is is how how will you come to that point in your life that people see you? And, And maybe the greatest picture is this. Not how did everyone else in the world look at you, but what did your family see? I mean, the ones that you lived with. The ones that saw you when you weren't at your greatest. The ones that got to see you when you were, quote, off duty. What will they think and what will they say? Some important words for us to think about because oftentimes it's so easy for us and and especially in ministry or if you're in a public job of some sort to walk down aisles and shake hands and smile and make everybody think that life is great and life is grand. But who are you when you're at home is essential for us as we think about our legacy and thinking about finishing well. Love your family. What will they remember? And what will they say? Fourthly, as we look at the very last section of, of verses, and 
Genesis chapter 50. We see this in verse 20, 24. Joseph said to his brethren, I am dying. I just like the reality of that. He's getting old. He's getting sick. He's 110. And he says, look, I'm going to die. He'd come to grips with that. I'm dying. But God will surely visit you and bring you out of the land to the land of which he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph took an oath from the children of Israel saying, God will surely visit you and you shall carry up my bones from here. And Joseph died being 110 and they embalmed him. Notice, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Julie and I, as, as we think about Joseph in this aspect of sharing hope, and Joseph was one, as he finished well, shared hope with his family. As, as we think about final words and final sayings, we, Julie and I just watched the, the movie Harriet on Harriet Tubman, who did the Underground Railroad, and uh, thinking about her life of, of rescuing slaves from the South through the Underground Railroad. But I loved uh, what I read afterwards, that her final words were, swing low, sweet chariot. (laughs) Those were her final words. If, If we could sum up Joseph's final words, he says two times, God will visit you. Surely, God will visit you. So Joseph is saying this, I, I don't want a caravan up to the promised land and, and me to be buried there. Instead, what I want is embalm me, put me in a, co- a coffin, and on that time when God visits you, take me with you. He was sharing hope that Egypt was not going to be the final destiny of God's people. That there was going to be more to life and more to the future than what they knew in Egypt. And what do we find? In Genesis chapter 13, that God had made a promise. That Abraham and, and uh, Abram and Lot, as they went their different ways, he says to Abraham, I want you to look to the north and the south and the east and the west. All of this land is going to be yours. The land of your descendants. And Joseph believed it. And he shared that with the family that was before him to say, look, God is going to show up. And he's going to visit you and carry you to the promised land. And when he carries you to the promised land, take me with you. Now, I I don't want to get morbid or anything crazy like that. But you have to think... That, you know, around that fourth or fifth or sixth generation, when, when you got kids playing around the house and you got a coffin sitting over there, the question's got to come up sometime. You know? M- maybe, maybe every once in a while, did you see it? There's a mummy in there. Why in the world do we have that in our house? And that family could say, Joseph reminded us God was going to visit us and we're going to the promised land. 
Genesis begins with creation. Genesis ends in a coffin. But Genesis isn't the end. Because Genesis begins with creation. But Revelation ends with a new creation. And those words of Jesus in Revelation chapter 22 and verse number 20. Surely I am coming quickly. (laughs) We're going to be visited again, my friend. And if God gives us the opportunity, it, it may be while we're still alive and we're going to be caught up. But it may be that when your great, great, great grandkids see your headstone, they need to be reminded the Lord Jesus is going to visit us. He has told us that there's going to come a time When those who are alive, they're going to be caught up, but they're not going to even go first. Those that are dead are going to go first. And those that are alive and remain will be caught up with them, and they will be caught up in the clouds. Are you ready if Jesus came today? There's only one way to be ready, and that's being right in your relationship with him. God is going to visit. He's either going to come or we're going to go. One day, all of us are going to stand before him. And the one question, the only question at that point that is going to matter is this. Am I ready? Joseph, as he came to this point in his life, he had lived by faith and was ready. And the only way that we can be ready is by faith. Have you received Jesus in your life today? Have you asked him to forgive you of your sin? Have you trusted Jesus Christ alone as the only way of salvation? If you haven't done that, that is the only way we can be ready. Surely, one of these days, The Lord Jesus is going to show up. He said he's going to come quickly. We realize it's been a long time since Jesus made that promise. But what we know is this. It's closer now than it's ever been. Are you ready? With that, let's pray. Lord, thank you for uh, the truth of your word. Lord, help us to be people who finish well. But Father... uh, It's not just about us finishing well. It's about each one personally, individually, knowing, Lord Jesus, that you're in their life. Knowing that they've experienced forgiveness. Knowing that they have expressed their faith in you alone. So, Lord, I pray that you would draw people to yourself today. And that we would be people who finish well. In your name, amen.